0: Japanese people are working themselves to death, literally. The work culture is so intense in the 1970s they invented a word, karoshi, that translates as death by overwork. Since the 1950s after the Second World War in a government sponsored effort to rebuild the national economy, companies have expected significant amounts of overtime. But before long, workers began committing suicide or dying of strokes or heart attacks, the result of stress or lack of sleep. Beginning in 1987, the government was documenting a couple of hundred cases a year. But by 2015, claims for government and company compensation for Kurochi had risen to a record high of 2,310 per year according to the Japanese Labor Ministry. They're the official figures. The actual figure could be far higher. According to the National Defence Council for Victims of Karoshi, the true figure may be as high as 10,000 deaths a year. But it's not just Japan. It's reported that China now leads the world in the numbers of deaths from work-related stress, with an estimated 600,000 deaths every year. And we're not immune in the West either. A study published last year in the medical journal The Lancet concluded that if you're working more than 55 hours per week, you're 13% more likely to suffer a heart attack and 33% more likely to suffer a stroke than people who only work 35 to 40 hours a week. They think the cause is elevated levels of the stress hormones like cortisol and epinephrine, as well as other cardiac risk factors such as lack of exercise, poor diet, high consumption of alcohol and tobacco, all associated with overwork and work stress. Over the last five weeks we've been looking at what God says about work and we found that He made us to work and that work is good. And yet, God's good purposes for us include rest. Work is good and rest is good. We're not just created to keep working and working. For our physical and emotional and psychological and spiritual health, we need regular rest. In fact, rest is bound up in God's creation of the world, right from the beginning. Right from the start we find out that God rests. At the end of Genesis 1 God's finished creating the world in six days and we read in chapter 2 verse 2 By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Six days of work, one day of rest. God didn't rest because he was tired though. God doesn't get tired. He rested because he'd finished. Everything had been done, accomplished. It didn't have to be repeated, repaired or revised. And so God could just sit back and enjoy what he'd worked for. And so the seventh day was different. It was special. God calls it holy. It's a day to appreciate what he'd done the previous six days. As we keep reading through the Bible, we see that God's rest becomes a blueprint for our rest. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments, which includes in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God has embedded a regular pattern, a rhythm of rest and work right into creation itself. Day and night, Work and sleep. Six days to work, one day to rest, just like God himself. There's the physical rest. But rest is also psychological or emotional. It's a day that God sets apart as special and he blessed it. On the seventh day God enjoyed what he'd made. And so on our rest... We should do the same, not just physically rest but there should be an enjoyment. We enjoy his creation, we enjoy the work that we've done, the fruit of the work that we've done. But of course, rest is also to be spiritual rest. Uh, We read there in Exodus 20 that we're to keep the Sabbath to the Lord. What does that mean? It means we're to keep it for him. We keep it in recognition of him, directed to him. It's not God's design if our rest is only about ourselves, if it's only self-centred and self-indulgent. True Sabbath rest is to the Lord. It includes him and reconnects with him, rejoices in his goodness. True rest gratefully celebrates We see that emphasised in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We jump forward 40 years, the people are just about to enter the promised land and so Moses repeats the teaching of the Ten Commandments and this time he gives a different reason for why we rest on the Sabbath. Uh, Verse 15 No one's to work on that day, even the servants. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, it's because we've been rescued that we rest. The Sabbath is rest for the rescued. The slavery is over. And each Sabbath, Israel remembered that and they gave thanks to God, their Redeemer. And they showed that rest not just by resting themselves but by allowing their slaves to rest. They were merciful to their slaves because they'd been shown mercy. That was Israel. How much more reason have we got to be grateful? How much greater is our rescue, not from Egypt, but from sin and death and judgement? How much greater is our rest? It's not just in the promised land of Canaan, but a rest which is for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. How much more joyful should our rest be now? Well, that's the Old Testament. If we jump forward to Jesus, the leader who was better than Moses, Jesus, the one who worked to bring us rest, who rescued us from slavery, here's what Jesus had to say about rest. Matthew 11:28 to 30, he, he invites any who are humble enough to receive like little children. He says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Modern life today is about working and striving for success and approval and fulfilment and it never ends. No matter how long you work, next week there's always more. It's wearying, it's often pointless, there's frustration and disappointment. That's life. That's a theological truth but it's also a scientific truth. actually called the first law of thermodynamics. The universe is set up so that it gradually unwinds and gets more and more random and disorganised. Left to themselves, things just rust and separate and break down. Rooms get messy, gardens get overgrown, machinery breaks down, That's the way the world is and so to work against that takes energy. We have to put effort and work. We exert effort to make things grow, to tidy things, to manufacture things, to organise and assemble. God's work of creating was was the greatest input of energy. But our efforts of work, paid or unpaid, we're always working against the way of the universe, against the tide of things. We're always pushing a boulder uphill. We never achieve because it will always gradually just wear away whatever we do. It's a hill that never ends. And if we stop pushing that boulder up the hill for a moment, it'll roll back and crush us. Everything we do is undone. That's what our earthly physical work is. Then of course there's the spiritual work that human beings do. It never ends and it's frustrating and pointless too. Humanity, human beings right from thousands of years ago have an inbuilt spiritual hunger to find God. Every culture, every continent, every language reaches out beyond what they can see to God. They define him in all sorts of different ways but everyone reaches out to God and every religion is about working to reach God, bridging the gap by climbing up to heaven where God is. Perhaps it's through prayers or sacrifices or obedience or pilgrimages or study or ritual or initiation into secret practices. It never ends. Because God is never satisfied, he or she always wants more from people of that religion. And because it all depends on our performance and our efforts, there's never any certainty that you've achieved God. There's no assurance, there's no rest. But instead Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Isn't that the best news you've ever heard? This Sunday, as most of us get to stop and rest, stop and dwell on that promise for a moment, Jesus offers weary and burdened people rest. Knowing God doesn't depend on building a bridge, clawing your way up a cliff from earth to heaven because God himself in Jesus has come down from heaven to earth. It doesn't depend on our performance or work or our consistency or our endurance. Instead, it's all about Jesus introducing us. Do you see there in verse 27, just before that invitation, Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We don't find God by climbing our way up to heaven. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus has been given the delegated authority, the executive order. To make the introduction, Jesus chooses us. Do you see that? It's not the other way around. The Son chooses to reveal certain people to God. Jesus reveals God to us. He bridges the gap, He performs the work so that we don't have to and we can rest. We can stop. We can celebrate with confident, grateful certainty. The job has been done, so rest. Come to Jesus' hand, your burdens to him, burdens of guilt, of expectation, of impossible to-do lists, burdens of living in the mess that you've created from your poor choices, your wrong priorities, your selfish sin, Come to Jesus in humility and repentance. Come when you're at the end of your rope and the bottom of your pit. Come with empty pockets and open hands. Jesus invites you, if you're weary and burdened, to come and rest. But notice that doesn't mean you never work again, there's still work to be done. Notice there's a yoke to bear. But Jesus promises that it's an easy yoke and a light burden because He's gentle. Now that we're following Jesus, most of us are, work is transformed. Our yoke is easy. It's work that we do because we belong to Jesus. It's work we do from within a relationship. It's not work that we do to enter the relationship. It's not work done to prove something. But it's work done for a new master, for a new purpose, with a new perspective and a new hope. Work done with a new power and a new motivation. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the paid work that we do. It changes the unpaid work that we do. It changes why we work and what we want to achieve as we work. It changes the way we treat people at work and why. It changes the ministry work we do. It gives us a new motivation and a new energy. And it changes the way we think about ourselves if we're unemployed or unable to work because our identity isn't found anymore in what we do but in who we belong to. And even in the midst of work, busyness and activity, we can find rest for our souls. Peace, contentment, satisfaction and joy. So what's all that, rest in Jesus, what's that got to do with physical rest, with taking regular breaks? And do Christians have to rest on the Sabbath, as the Ten Commandments said? And if so, why? Now they're all questions that will take longer than we've got time for this morning, but Jesus in Mark chapter 2 gives us some help. Out of all the Ten Commandments, keeping the Sabbath, that's the one that seems to cause the most problems between Jesus and the leaders, the religious leaders. All of the other commands Jesus affirms or even strengthens, but he seems to go out of his way to do things on the Sabbath that the leaders got really angry about. Healing people, allowing the disciples to pluck grain and eat. He's not cancelling the command to keep the Sabbath. He's reinterpreting it. He's calling people back to what God originally designed the Sabbath for. And he's got the authority to do it because he says he's Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he says in Mark two twenty eight. The Pharisees accuse his disciples of doing unlawful work on the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds them about what his ancestor King David had done. King David had authorised his men to eat bread that was consecrated. And now Jesus is doing the same thing for his companions because Jesus is a greater king than King David. He's the Lord of everything, the Lord of the Sabbath. And he gives his ruling in in verse 27... The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave us the Sabbath for our good. He gave it for our refreshment and our rest. It was never meant to be a day to be endured, a day that locked us in, that restricted us. It's a day to be enjoyed. That's what Jesus says it's a day to be enjoyed. Just like God enjoyed his Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is for us. But it's also for the Lord. Remember that. The Sabbath is for the Lord. Just like Israel was to keep the Sabbath to the Lord, we should keep our rest as well to the Lord. Israel kept the Sabbath to remember how God had rescued them and brought them into the promised land. We should do the same thing when we rest. Our rest reminds us about our rescue by Jesus, how he's brought us into eternal rest, rest for our souls. And it helps us as we rest now to look forward to an even better rest that's coming in eternity and to long for it. And so for us today, our rest can be to the Lord. We can rest in joyful gratitude for Jesus who gives us eternal rest. But maybe you're thinking, hang on a minute David, the Sabbath was a Saturday, why are we resting on a Sunday? A very good question. It seems like the early church began meeting on Sunday. For example, in Acts 20 verse 7, Luke describes how the church in Troas met on the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. The first day of the week, Sunday. Uh, Acts, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul tells the Corinthians to bring their collection on the first day of the week when they meet together. Uh, Revelation 1.10, John says that he was in the spirit on what he calls the Lord's Day, That is, the day of Jesus' resurrection, Sunday. And so that was probably one reason why the church met on Sunday because that was the day they remembered Jesus' resurrection. But there's another likely reason, I think, and that was the problems that the Gentile churches were having with the Jewish legalists. These were false teachers who wanted to connect salvation to keeping all the Jewish laws, circumcision, eating certain food, keeping the Sabbath. Galatians and Acts 15 tell us all about that. Paul may have encouraged the new Christian churches to to move away from keeping the Sabbath and instead meet on a Sunday. He might have been wanting to do it so he didn't send the wrong message to them about Sabbath keeping and salvation. For example in Galatians 4.9 he rebukes the Galatian Gentile Christians. He says but now that you know God or rather are known by God how is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles keeping rules to be saved? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. It seems like he's worried they're being pressured to keep certain days as part of their salvation. Paul won't let that happen. In Colossians chapter 2, he seems to be thinking about these Jews when he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration... Or a Sabbath day. In other words, keeping the Jewish laws like the Sabbath won't make you right with God. Don't let anyone make you feel bad or that you're not saved because you're not keeping their version of the rules. And then he adds, these things are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality is found in Christ. In other words, those old commands of food and drink, circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, they're just temporary, they're shadows. They all point to the reality. They all point to Jesus. It's Jesus who gives us the real rest that Sabbath rest points towards. So there's no need to stick to what's only a shadow especially if people are saying you have to to be saved. So what gave these early Christians the freedom to just change their rest day from a Saturday to a Sunday? Why did they think that was okay? Well, it seems like it's this attitude of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. In other words, that there are principles that are more important than keeping the letter of the law, like doing what's good for people. Rest is more important than whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday. Seems to be what they interpret Jesus to mean by the Sabbath is made for man. So, that's a long roundabout way of saying that uh, that's why most Christians have their rest on Sundays and why we have church on Sundays. And why it's okay uh, if you have to work on a Sunday, if you're rostered on, for example, or you're a part-time worker. You see, it's still God's design for you to rest. That's the principle. And he wants you to meet with his people so that you can do your rest to the Lord to help us all focus on Jesus. The best way we can do that is if we all rest on the same day and that means Sunday is as good a day as any that we all rest and meet together. And so on this Lord's Day Sunday, if you lean towards overwork, can I encourage you for the sake of your health and the sake of your spiritual health and the sake of your family and the sake of your church family, take some deliberate steps to rest. Most of us have seasons of overwork but if you're regularly working more than say 60 hours a week, maybe you need to sit down and prayerfully ask why. Are there sinful motivations that you need to repent of? Is there greed? A desire to accumulate, get more wealth? Or is there pride that makes you work so hard? The pride of perfectionism. Everything has to be perfect. Or maybe the pride of status. Or the pride of being indispensable. Oh, they can't possibly do without me. I can't take a holiday. I can't leave now, everything would just collapse. That's pride. Is there idolatry of finding your importance and your self identity in your job rather than in Jesus? Or maybe the idolatry of people pleasing. You just don't want to disappoint people. That's idolatry. But well, what about worry? That's a sin too. It's a lack of faith. Jesus says you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. God knows what you need. God provides. And whether you're working or resting, keep God's eternal perspective. There is a final resurrection rest for us. And that perspective will help make your work today more satisfying and purposeful and it'll make your rest more joyful and thankful. 1 Corinthians 15 is a very long chapter. It's all about Christ's resurrection and our resurrection. There's 57 verses that describe what the resurrection will be like but then in verse 58 we get to so what? How that affects us now. And I'll make these my last words. Death has been swallowed up in victory, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, Therefore, because all of that's happening, it's true, because that's true, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you made us to work. We thank you for the joy of rest. Rest that's in Jesus. Rest for the rescued who've been brought from guilt and working for our salvation, into the freedom of forgiveness. What a joy it is to know that rest. Help us as we physically rest to keep our rest in you and for you and rejoicing in you. And as we work, help us to remember the rest that we will have in the future and that all our work is not in vain. Amen.